Hey everybody, it is Mike Berbiglia, and I am back with the inaugural edition of The Old Ones, where we talk about somebody else's uh, comedy albums or comedy specials. Today I'm talking to my friend Hassan Minaj, one of my favorite comics, and about his special Homecoming King, which just won the Peabody Award last week. Really, really exciting. I actually first saw it at the Cherry Lane Theater, which is where I'm announcing right now, this is the announcement, uh, I am performing my show, the new one, in New York City for three weeks this summer. You can get tickets now at, easy to remember, thenewone.com. But first, welcome to The Old Ones. We met at Montreal Comedy Festival in, I believe, 2011 or 2012. Yeah. And we were on a show together, and I saw you, and I was like, <laughs> this dude is hilarious. How uh-huh. come I don't know uh-huh. his work at all? Yeah. And so I came up to you, and I was like, hey, I think you're really funny. I was like, uh, we started talking. And, and I just like, had new faces. Yeah, you just had new faces. And you faces. were like, if you're doing new faces and you're doing a gala right now. Yeah. That's really good. That's huge. And then and then I was like, where are you from? And then you were like, Davis. And I was like, I'm playing Davis. You should come open for me in yes. Davis. And you yes. were like, hell yeah. And then like a month later, you were like, I can't open for you in Davis. I'm on the Daily Show. <laughs> right. But uh, no, that but that 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 was a crazy ascent that you had. Thank you. I was saying to one of the producers of the show, Peter Salomon, like, I met Hassan, I think, when you were 26. Uh, yeah, 27, 28. So, yeah. So, from around there, and, 26, 27. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I was like, and he's, and you're 32 yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. And, yeah. He, and Peter's about around that age. And, and he goes, excuse me while I walk into a lake. Uh, <laughs> what? Because you're so successful. So young. Oh, got it. Okay. But okay. you, but I, it, but we were talking about like how successful, how young you are to be successful and have that wisdom and scope. Oh, okay. And I'm watching Homecoming King thinking like, well, he's this kind of dorky high school kid, and he's seventeen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then ten years later, yeah, he has the wisdom and chops to tell this story in this really right hilarious, eloquent way. It's like, when did you go from being like a passive viewer of your life to being this really bold storyteller? Yeah. So I think by the time we met at the Cherryland, I was like twenty nine, thirty. Right. Mm-hmm. I had a big sort of crisis in my head where I had written the show and we were working it out and it was really fat and I had this big thing where I was suffering from Lokyakenga, a little bit of like what will people think are you really like 10 or 11 years later going to tell this love story from when you were in high school <laughs> yeah like people are people have mortgages now That's that are your funny. age and you're gonna go and gripe about Good. what happened yeah, sure. in the spring of 2003 like you're yeah. an insane person yeah but to me there was I felt like I don't, there was just this weird instinct in, inside of me that was like, it's not a question about whether why this boy couldn't go to prom with this girl. I feel like the backdrop of it is commentary on if all things are equal in America today, could 2018 Hassan Minaj go to prom with 2018 Bethany Reed? Yeah. Could that happen? I'm walking up to the doorstep and I'm about to ring the doorbell. I was like, no, 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 wait, take this in. 30-second timeout. Do you understand what's about to go down? You're about to go to prom with Bethany motherfucking Reed. This is the American dream. This is what dad fought for. Ding dong. Mrs. Reed opens the door. 
she has this look of concern on her face. And I look over her shoulder. I see this dude, Jeff Burke, putting a corsage on Bethany's wrist. And she's like, oh my God, honey, did Bethany not tell you? Oh, sweetie, we love you. We think you're great and we love that you come over and study. But you know, tonight's one of those nights where, you know, we have a lot of family back home in Nebraska and we're going to be taking a lot of photos tonight. So we don't think it'd be a good fit. Fake names? Yes. <laughs> I th- did I talk to you about this? Maybe. Yes. Because I always do fake names. Yes, to protect. And yeah, I think I remember asking you about that even when I took it to Cherry Lane. And I'm like, I should probably change some of these things. Wait, so I want to know, did Bethany Reed ever come to see this show? She ended up coming to the show with her now husband. And so, you know, in, in the home, guy with the long name. Yeah. yeah. And what was what was wild is like I could I could only imagine how intense that would be if someone had written a one man show about like or one woman show about our sort of <sighs> yeah. love story. And then I came to it and it's sort of I am this cog in this greater comedic wheel. But what was wild is she was oddly very cool about it. And her now husband was super cool about it. Oh, that's it. nice. And he came up to me, and what was really nice is he was like, hey, man, look, I know, like, you know, kind of the butt of the joke here and all that stuff. But he's like, I went through a lot of that stuff growing up, so I think what you're talking that about is, is important. so powerful. It was really cool, man. And I don't think I would have the maturity. That That's so powerful because one of my experiences when I watch your show, and it's it's I saw it at the Cherry Lane Theater, yeah. which is actually where I'm announcing, like, today, whenever this mm-hmm. comes on. That my show's gonna, the new one's gonna be at the Cherry Lane Theater, which I love. Amazing. I, that place is magical. It's where man. I saw Oh Hello. Yeah. Uh, before it went to Broadway. It's yeah. where I saw Colin Quinn's New York Story. Yeah. Um, it's where I saw your show. I've seen so many shows there. I love it. It's like 160 seats. It's the best. Every seat's perfect. It's this beautiful old theater in the West Village. And the neighborhood is probably the most beautiful in neighborhood Commerce Street. in the country. In, in Literally New York, in New York yeah. City. Yeah. Or, yeah. One of the best blocks in, the, in America. I it's think. beautiful. So when I, when I saw it and then when I saw it again on Netflix, like it's very emotional. And one of the reasons it's emotional, and I don't know if this was an intent or a byproduct, is you describe being in a, min- a minority as a kid in Davis, California. Correct. Growing up as an Indian American kid. Yes. And what it feels like to be a minority. And, and I find when I listen to it, and I'm, I'm not a minority at all, I'm a white kid from the suburbs of Massachusetts, and I'm like, I get it. Or I feel like I wow. get it. Yeah, like I like in That's that, amazing. In man. the moment the guy shatters or someone shatters your car window, I feel it. I'm like, oh, I know what I know the pain. When 9-11 happened, I was a sophomore in high school. My dad sits everybody down at the dinner table and he's like, All right, Hassan, whatever you do, do not tell people you're Muslim, do not talk about politics. And I was like, all right, dad, I'll, I'll just hide it. Cool. And <laughs> this just rubs off. We're sitting there, phone rings. I run to the phone, but my dad, he had a good first step, so he beats me to the phone. He's like, da, da, hello? I grab the second phone, hello? And I hear a voice, hey! Hey, you sand nigger, where's Osama? He looks at me. You can hear me, right, you fucking dune coon? Where's Osama? He's just like, yeah, it. Hey, you can hear me, right? Two sits in Regatta Lane. That's where you live, right? I'm gonna fucking kill you. Click. And my dad's looking at me. You ever see your parents... And you see the mortality in them. Like, I'm looking at my dad, and I see all five, seven of him. And that's when I realized, no, I'm a dark book. 
I'm a scaredy cat. You know the way it is. We can speak two languages. We can speak at home and outside. I should have said something. I didn't. We sit down. I hear foom, foom, foom outside. So me and dad, we run outside, and all the windows on the Camry are smashed in. And I look in the back, and, and my backpack's open. I'm like, fuck, they stole my stuff. I reach in. I pull out my backpack. These pieces of glass get caught in my arm. And now all this blood is like gushing down the side of my arm. And I'm pissed. I'm just like fucking mad. Man, fuck this, man. Like these kids, they know where we live. They're calling us. They're timing this in real time. So they're watching us. So I'm running up and down the cul-de-sac, looking in the trees, the bushes. I look back in the middle of the street. My dad's in the middle of the road, sweeping glass out of the road like he works at like a hate crime barbershop. Just like, (laughs) we got customers. We got to clean this up. Zen. Brown Mr. Miyagi, just like not saying a word. I run up to him like, Dad, why aren't you saying something? I'm not asking you now. Say something. He looks at me and he goes, Hassan, ye cheese to hote? Or ye cheese to These things happen and these things will continue to happen. That's the price we pay for being here. I think the reason I like the way you discuss race in this is that it's so personal and it's so unflinching that I, I feel like we care about it because it's it's personal to you and you're opening up to us. So so my thing is is that yeah, why does why do we have to talk about race when the collateral damage is death? That's that's the thing. It only happens. We only deal with it as a national issue when it's like oh, this person was shot in the back 20 times. Oh, that shouldn't have happened. Saying. And then when it's anything less than that, people yeah. go, hey, shut up. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The other 364 days of our lives, if you're a person of color, is, is you're dealing with these non-lubricated situations where these, there's this pushback to your desire to exist yeah. or fall in love or get a job or try to be in a writer's room and be understood. It's all these little things of like, I don't get that. Yeah. What are you doing? Now we're going to go in a different direction. It's that stuff. And it may not be a thing where it's crippling, but it's annoying. And you're like, damn, I wanted to talk about that. How do we? But I find it like a lot of people in this current climate who are like, I can't say anything, you know. Right. And I feel like when I spend time with you, like you're like really open to like kind of anyone saying anything. And I'm wondering, what's your red line? What's the point at which you're like, come on, man. Oh, dude. <laughs> Don't say that. Oh, dude, I'm a, I'm a staunch, I'm an absolutist when it comes to freedom of speech. But just because you can say anything. Of course. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. have freedom of speech. You don't have freedom of consequence. That's right. And that's the thing that people don't understand. That's what people understand. don't get. Yeah. So I don't know if you felt this way. I think everyone... In, to varying degrees have felt like they're in the margins of society. I think everyone has. Comics, we definitely felt perhaps growing up we were in the margins of our school. D- irrespective of your background, gender, race, creed, class, all sexuality, all that stuff aside, one of the things that I thought growing up, which was like, I was like, oh man, I, I feel like I am a mutant. I'm like an X-Men. Yeah. Where like I live amongst muggles but i am not one of them yeah, like yeah. i feel like i have to have these connecting points to try to get them to understand sort of where i'm coming from where my parents are coming from and all that stuff sure i didn't realize that's a strength later of course yeah no but for comedy it's all simile and metaphor yeah this is like this yeah and i'm communicating this complex idea to you right and comparing it to something that you know 
And then when you really do break it down, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's like this for me. Yeah. Isn't that wild? So that I didn't realize that until much later that like, oh, this is going to be a really great strength right. Alienate, for comedy. Right. Alienation is universal. Yes. And alienation is empowering later in life. Right. But also feeling like you're on the sidelines observing everything happening. Yeah. I was curious, like, do you ever have this thing with your family? Because you and I have a similar thing too, which yeah. is in in Sleepwalk With Me, I say that my dad would always say growing up, like, don't tell anyone. That and is your, so powerful, and your, man. And your dad has this thing where, he, where you're like, immigrants love secrets. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think it's just that, like, immigrants love secrets. Right? Like, they love them. They love bottling them up deep down inside of themselves and then just unleashing them on you 30 years later when it's no longer relevant. So you'll be sitting there like, what? Mom's a ninja, dad's a communist? Why are you telling me this right now? I feel like every conversation with my dad is like an M. Night Shyamalan movie where it's just 90 minutes of buildup to no payoff. And I'm like... Do you think that your dad and your, or your parents came around at all by seeing your show? Think they opened up at yes. all? Yes. Yeah. I think what was really powerful for them, this is one of the things we talk about in the shows, this idea, it's it, it, it's an it's a saying in Urdu is Lokya Kangit, what will people think? Yeah. We get in the Camry, we're driving into my future fiance's house. And we're about to pull up and we get to the door, and my dad's about to ring the doorbell, and then he says the one sentence that is the killer of every brown kid's dream. He goes, uh Hassan, I don't think we should do this. What will people think? And I don't know if you guys know this, but every time a brown father says, a star actually falls from the sky. You know? Mom, Dad, I don't want to be a doctor. No. I don't want to marry so-and-so. Why? You know what's wild? Here's another thing. I love the, all the language stuff. Yeah, but, but here's what, what's amazing about like comedy and art. So my director, you have, you know, you work with Seth on all, a lot of your projects. My director is Greg Wallach. Greg Wallach is a white gay dude. Yeah. And he, he was like, you know, when we were just vomiting out ideas and I sort of said, said that concept. He's like, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, it means like, what will people think or what will people say? And he's like, that is one of the most crippling conditions oh gosh, of being yeah. a human being. And to me, that was what was really powerful. I was like, man, if I could take something that is so specific to my experience and that it speaks volumes to the human experience, I'm like, oh, maybe we do have something here. That's why it's so powerful too. When, first of all, when you look at the camera, I love it. And that, oh, really? that's- you know, you know that really divides people. There are some people from uh, a lot of people are big, like really enjoyed it. Um, and then there's a couple people that that are stand up comedy purists that are like, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, you do it a few times and. And I think my favorite time is when you do it, when you're talking to your dad in the hospital. So we're sitting there in the hospital, and I have to tell him stories. So I'm telling him stories about my life. He's telling me stories about his life. So I tell him the prom story. And he goes, Hassan, I'm mad at you. I was like, I know I, I kissed a girl. I'll never do it again. <laughs> and he goes, no. Why don't you forgive Bethany? Don't miss a cute I couldn't understand. He wanted to be the bigger person again. And I was like, why? He goes, come on, Hassan. You know when I first immigrated to this country in 1982? Everything I saw on TV, I thought if I let you go to a school dance, 
you would join a gang, get a girl pregnant, and become a drug dealer all in one night. So I wanted to protect you. And her family, they saw stuff on TV about us. They wanted to protect their daughter. You're afraid of me. She's afraid of them. Everybody's afraid of everybody. But Hassan, himmat honi chahiye, bhai. Himmat honi chahiye. Or tumhara himmat darna se zyada honi chahiye. Hassan, himmat honi chahiye, bhai. Himmat honi chahiye. Hassan, you have to be brave. And your courage to do what's right has to be greater than your fear of getting hurt. So Hassan, be brave. Hassan, be brave. You saying it to camera was like saying it to us. Yeah. You're yeah. telling us to be brave. You're giving, not only are you telling us to be brave, but you're also putting us in a conversation with your dad. So we know what it's like to talk to your dad. Yeah. Did you feel like, do you ever feel like, you know, because you doing these one-man shows, I think you and Colin were huge inspirations for me. Did you ever feel like what's different from between, you know, Colin's style is very much, I'm going to take a big idea and break it down. Yeah. But you keep mining your own experience. Did you ever feel like, man, am I, am I, am I throwing my family under the bus? Am I? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I feel like they have really set their fingerprints on the world and then we're commenting on them. Yeah. And I sometimes have dealt with like, am I airing out their dirty laundry? Will my dad be okay with it? As artists, we get to keep rewriting our story. No, I know. And we can add footnotes to it. Yeah. But when I like tell a joke about my parents or they can't really comment on that. I think about that all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's ultimately your story. Sure. You're telling your story and... It's your, you know, I say this and thank God for jokes, but it's like, it's your side of the story. Yeah. Everything is your side of yeah. the story. Granted, we have a bigger platform than, than <laughs> your typical platform. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, it's a challenge. My silver lining to this was that I feel very lucky that, to me, Homecoming King, my goal was was for it to be a love letter to my family, actually. And I feel that's similarly Dis- about all my shows. Yeah, and that's yeah. What, I think we're both very lucky in, in that way. I had a question for you, though. Did you turn to one man storytelling? Was that a conscious choice or was it just a natural progression that you continued to be curious about? It came it came as a result of multiple things. One, I, I told a story at the moth and I was like, it was and it was whatever, 15, 16 years ago, and I was like, oh, I'm better at this than doing stand-up. Yeah. Like telling stories, like I feel a connection with the audience that is deeper, and it's as funny as my stand-up. So I'm yeah. like, okay, this is an epiphany. Yeah, 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 Secondarily, I studied screenwriting and playwriting in college, and my professor, this guy John Glavin, who actually taught Mulaney and, and taught a lot of, taught Jonah Nolan, co-wrote the Batman movies. And that is crazy. That's Westworld Chris Nolan. Yeah, that's Chris Nolan's yeah, yeah, brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was in the class. Like, there was a lot of really good writers who came out of there. That's insane. Jordan Nardino writes for the new Star Trek. Like, there's a lot, a lot of people from that class. And I remember John Glavin saying to me in the in the office hours one day because it was a, it was a very intimate program. There's only a few of us. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, Joan, like Jonah Nolan is going to be a major Hollywood screenwriter. And I was like, No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> but the yeah. reason why is that. We were in college. Right, we were right, all right. just kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no one thinks anybody's anything. You know what I mean? That's kind of true. Yeah, yeah, When yeah. you're in college, like, like I loved Jonah. He's a great guy. Yeah. And he's actually one of— Were you guys uh, cool? 
Or was it just like, hey, he's just a classmate? No, I love. I think he's brilliant. Got it. And I love his movies. Sure. Oh my god! <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Man, did that guy get amazing? But in yeah. college, he's this college kid. Right. Same way, you know. Right. All, anyone in college is right. like. Figuring it out. Isn't that so weird about our medium specifically? You think about Kurt Cobain or Tupac or Notorious yeah, B.I.G. Yeah. They went to high school. Yeah. <laughs> but in their seminal work was like a few years after high school. Yeah, I know. Nas is Illmatic. I think he was 19 years old. Yeah. Isn't same that with, crazy? Same Music's with, like same that, with, right? Same with Dylan. Like his first album was right. like he's 19. But and- what is it about comedy where or, – or, or just what it takes with the pen and paper and it's just oratory type storytelling? What is it? Where age has to come into so play. So it's the merge. I believe it's the merge of where talent and skill meets experience, life experience. You need life experience. Like wisdom? Yeah. yeah. And I think that that merge, it's like you can't, you can't time it intentionally. It just happens or it doesn't happen. Right. You know, when did you know you were funny? Mm, still working on it. No, come on, man. <laughs> no. For real. No, For I, real. Think, I think I, I, I always was confused as a child because— I always thought that I was funny and nobody else did. For me, I didn't I didn't realize this in hindsight. I, I grew up with um in elementary school, I we moved to this neighborhood and there was all, all the kids in the neighborhood were roughly my age. Yeah. We were kind of like the sandlot and we we sort of stayed friends through elementary school, middle school. And then some kids moved away and stuff like that. But I remember sometimes we'd run inside to my friend Andrew's house and his mom would ask, Hey, like what what happened? Like you guys, you guys came in late. What's what's going on? And all my friends would be like, don't let Hassan tell the story. He always makes it oh, that's crazier hilarious. than it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know what that was. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And like, you're going to just make stuff up about this and that. And I'm like, oh, I naturally was heightening things. Yes. I would find these moments of like, okay, then the dog chased us. And then this happened. Absolutely. And, and I didn't think that of that as a skill set. Right. Until much later. Right. <laughs> you know, this is going to be really funny. I think one time Neil Brennan told me this. He was like, you're a lot more interesting than you are funny. Which is so savage. Leave it up to Neil. Which is so savage. Yeah, leave it up to Neil to always tell his version of the truth <laughs> uh, with no holds barred. He does this to everybody. He does it to Mulaney. Yeah, yeah, does it to me. Yeah. He said about Thank God for Jokes, he goes, it's not as good as my girlfriend's boyfriend, but it's very good. Oh, really? Really? All right. Thanks. But you know what, Thanks man? Thanks for weighing in. Him, no, but he's so smart. With me, him being like that blunt, I was like, Wait a second. And I didn't realize this again till much later, too. I feel the same way about Jon Stewart. Oh, my gosh. When you talk wow. to Jon, he's incredibly—he is very funny. For people who don't, who, who don't know Hassan's work, correspondent on The Daily Show, yeah. was founded by Jon Stewart. He— Discovered. Yeah. He um, is extremely interesting and fascinating, his point, yeah. his point of view, right? And that, to me— um, I'm so glad that we live in an age now with all the f- different forms of communication that a microphone and a two drink minimum isn't just the stop gap on what we hold as performers inside of us. Yeah. I don't know if you felt this way, man. Before the moth, did you feel this way? Where like, I felt a little limited by just having the mic in 15 minutes in f- at Gotham. I didn't realize I was limited until oh, you I started telling that. the stories. Well, that's, that gets back to the John Glavin thing. Is John yeah. Glavin, my professor from college, yeah. you were saying, how did I break out into these one-man shows? Yeah. He was like, you got to have a— I was like, John, I'm writing this play yeah, for yeah. four actors and blah, blah, blah. He yeah, goes, yeah, yeah. you can't—I was 24 years old. He's like, you can't afford to produce a play. All you can afford to write is a one-person play. Uh-huh. 
because it's it's a microphone and a and a stand and a glass of water. Yeah, yeah. And you can do it anywhere. Yeah. And so I started writing Sleepwalk with me. But yeah. to get back to what you were saying about like about uh, exaggerating, yeah. Because I think about that a lot. It's like, to what degree, as storytellers, are we exaggerating? What to what degree are we trying to tell the exact truth? Right. But I wrote this line recently that's yeah, related yeah. to what you're saying, sure, which sure. is I think that life is life is 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 like a movie that's too funny to be true and too sad to watch again. That is great. That is so beautiful. And 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 I feel that way when I'm writing stories. It's like what you want is maybe not the truth, but something that's that's so close to the truth, right? That it's amazingly funny because nothing's funnier than life. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you have to edit life. I always say life writes the greatest punchlines. They're unbelievable. It, it's like they're unbelievable. Nothing's funnier than your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to edit it in such a way. I'm sure you took a Correct. lot of liberties in yes. Homecoming King yes. with the timeline. Yes. Of like, this becomes this. Uh, Ted and Jack are now the same person. Right. Because you don't want to bore people with the shoe leather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask you a question? Sure. Why have you been so nice to younger comics? Like, <laughs> no, to like me and Kroll and Mulaney and stuff like that. Like, it's pretty, it's really cool. Oh, thanks. I No, I'm just genuinely drawn to what you do. You told me um, when you came upstairs after seeing Homecoming King in Cherry Lane and you were just like, you got it. <laughs> It really did change my life. Like, I mean that. Oh. Um, because I remember when I first started, I would open for people at clubs and people told me as the host, I, I started getting passed at the punchline, the Sacramento punchline, San Francisco punchline, Cobbs, and the San Jose improv. And they were like, it's your job to open for the comedian, but also be their liaison to the city. Like, hey, I know this great bar. You might want to go there yeah. if you're looking for food. Maybe people don't know a whole lot about Sacramento, right? And I remember I was opening for a comic that I really, really loved and respected, especially as like a joke craftsman. And um, I was told if like, hey, if you're really nice to them and you, you do a great job and you're funny, when the week ends, you can ask them, hey, next time you're in town, you could maybe tell Molly if I could open for you. <laughs> yeah. And I remember asking a comedian who shall not be named. I'll, I'll tell you. I can tell you off, off, <laughs> off the I'm mic. Like, but at the end of the week, I was like, hey, man, I, I know you saw my set earlier this week. And um, I mean, I was wondering um, maybe the next time you're in town, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to open for you if that's cool. And he was just like, yeah, I'd rather not do that. Oh, gosh. And just like walked out of the green room. Oh, my god! Yeah. And it was like, wow. It was, I'd rather not do that. Yeah. And it was heartbreaking. Wow. It was really heartbreaking. And just, you know, there were times where... Um, you know, the, that green room is small, and so you'd walk in and hang it's out so before small. the set. It's tiny, but they're watching, like, uh, um, a football game. And I'm like, do you have to be in here right now? One last thing. Um, you reference Drake. Yes. And you do this great impersonation. Yes. And I don't know Drake's work, and so as a result, I'm laughing at the impersonation of a thing I don't know. Whoa. And... It's really good. That's crazy. And it got me thinking about references and like I'm always trying to pull references, cultural references out of my show because I want people to watch these things in 10 years, 20 years from now and yes. know what the hell I'm talking about. Yes. And I was like, how did you decide to keep Drake in because you have so few cultural references? Right. He's such a big cultural icon. He's massive. Obviously, everybody doesn't know him. But I've I found with act outs, it falls into one of two things. Either the voice itself is incredibly funny that everyone yeah, can get on board course. with that 
or the mannerism itself is incredibly funny and everybody can get on board with that. So he kind of dances and moves it's ridiculously. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And he takes himself very seriously. And as Johnny, he does it. Johnny, one of the, Johnny Levin, who's one of the producers, said, has told me that it's pitch perfect. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know what it is? It's because I'm also not very good at dancing, but he neither is he, but he's very confident <laughs> when he does it. And it's that beautiful, he embodies like this like really confident bad dancer. And well, that's Drake. Drake, yeah. if, Drake, if you're listening, yeah. Hassan Minaj is throwing down. <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing and some major saying, shade at your dancing ability. He is, he does not think you're a good dancer. I don't, but I love your confidence. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up there. Thank you for coming on The Old Ones and being Thanks. the inaugural episode of The Old Ones, not about my specials. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank, thank you, you for your friendship and, and for being a part of this. Mike, and, I appreciate uh, it, man. Yeah. I'll see you soon. See you soon. <laughs> All right, this has been The Old Ones. If you liked that, check out the other episodes forthcoming and all the tour dates on thenewone.com. I've been to 40 cities so far. I think there's 10 more. I just added New York City, 18 performances in this beautiful Cherry Lane Theater. London in June, which, by the way, I don't think this particular show will make it to other parts of Europe and Scandinavia because my schedule is uh, challenging currently, but definitely try to make it if you're remotely nearby London. It's the Leicester Square Theater, which is an awesome place to see comedy. I've seen Ricky Gervais there and, and Stuart Lee. It's it's really it's awesome. It's like 400 seats, and it's just a cool place to see comedy. I'm also adding, look out for this on thenewone.com, a Providence, Rhode Island, five shows at the Trinity Repertory Theater, which is this cool, intimate space. Uh, Also, Northampton, Massachusetts, uh, New Haven, Connecticut, three cities in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, and Tampa, where I have some family. I'm excited to visit them. All of these on the easy-to-remember site, thenewone.com. The Old Ones is produced by myself along with Joseph Berbiglia, Peter Salomon, and Johnny Levin. Sound mix by Kate Belinsky. Music by Roger Neal, who did the music for Don't Think Twice. Special thanks to Mike Berkowitz, Isaac Dunham, Jennifer Stein, my wife, Steve Wilson, and all our friends at Apple Podcasts. Interview recorded by Paul Ruest at Argo Studios in New York City. My biggest thanks to Hassan Minaj for taking time out of being on The Daily Show and creating his own new series on Netflix at the same time to chat with me. You can follow him on Instagram at at Hassan Minaj. And and now that this is an actual podcast, I got to come up with some kind of sign-off or something, I guess. I don't know. Uh, What about, uh, why did we even do this? And I'll see you out there, everybody.